Hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which uh, seeks to plug the gaps between the church, culture, theology and mission. And uh, my name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by fellow podcastees, podcasteristas, Michael Otts and Andy Bannister. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. I'm welcoming myself as well as you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's great to be. Uh, it's great to be back again. It's been it's been a while. Not least because you've been on holiday. I think I have. I've been uh, I've been in the sunny climes of North Wales in uh, November, um, which is not actually quite as sunny as yeah you might think if you're yeah, yeah. somewhere else. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was very sunny anyway, so that means it was <laughs> raining continually. Yes, basically. But it was a good. It's a good place to have rain because the North North Wales. If we do have any Welsh listeners. I'm in awe of how amazing the landscape and beauty of North Wales is. There's Snowdonia, there's uh, all of Edward's castles, which are there, which were built to suppress the Welsh, but now hopefully make the Welsh a lot of money uh, with tourists uh, coming to visit them. So they're incredible, these grand medieval castles. We were, we were near Carnarvon, and there's a castle built in 1284 that still looks... Do you think when that was designed, that somebody went to the architect and went, mate, can you make sure you make space for the tea room and the gift shop? Because I know right now we're like suppressing people, but trust me, we will eventually have tourists. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, tell the king we need to. Yeah, we do need all these things in advance. Where was the gift? Yeah, where's the gift we shop? need yeah. to design a tea, <laughs> a tea cozy. <laughs> that's tell. right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, no. So that's a lovely, uh, lovely place to go. Not quite as sunny as uh, Michael's recent apparent mission trip to Greece. I think I saw a picture yeah. on Facebook with with sunny. Yeah, we were yeah. suffering for the gospel um, in northern Greece a couple of weeks ago. Um, I have to say, it was it was a wonderfully encouraging time in terms of the uh, the content of the program, and it was genuinely wonderful to meet up with folks who I work with across Europe. It felt a little bit like I, well, I say it a little bit like a little bit like I imagine heaven to be like because we arrived in this kind of incredible paradise by the beach of a blue sky, and then we're reunited with all these people I haven't seen for two years or, or more. And I thought, well, maybe that's a little taste of uh, what it will yeah. be like in the new creation, being reunited in paradise. Um, <laughs> So, and it did make me think, why on earth do we live in England when I came back to the rainy, cold November, which is probably the worst month of the year in my, my imagination. And then Andy thought the same thing. He said, why do I even live in England? Let me go somewhere sunny. I'll go up to Dundee. But it I didn't quite work Dundee. out. Hey, we are the, this is the sunniest part of Scotland, I'll have you know. But that's not exactly a difficult league <laughs> to reach the top of, is all I would, <laughs> all I would say. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. I think I would say the weather. I think is part of national character. You know, I do think if you go to those those sunny places, you know, people spend so much time on the beach and chilling out and stuff. Whereas, you know, why was it England very quickly? You know, as a powerhouse industrial revolution and built all these great castles and machines and technology. It was so wet outside that people <laughs> spent all the time in the shed. Right? If it had been sunny, you know, we had never have. You know, James Watt would never have come up with a steam engine. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, there's probably something in that. I, I wonder how many. If we, I don't know, maybe listeners can ask to uh, write in or something. It's like equatorial countries that have a you know great amount of heat. Are there are there less castle? Are there fewer castles in those places? <laughs> Who you know? We'll, we'll put Andy's theory to Andy's thesis to the test. That the kind of uh, yeah castle climate theory. Which ah, what a, what a wonderful segue! I didn't even intend that. I didn't even intend Genius. the segue. And, the and, and yeah, segue. I love it. <laughs> I know. The accent was so great. But I have to very quickly footnote it and do something that doesn't at all link, which is, Andy, we had a listener, and I can't help but notice if I said I'd say this. I haven't told oh, you man. yet. A listener said, who do you <laughs> who do you sound like? He said, oh, this, uh, Andy Bannister. I don't know who he is, but he uh, he reminds me of Clive Tildesley. Can you see that, Michael? 
I was like, yes, yes. And I can also see why Andy will have no idea and is looking very so blank. I'm guessing that I'm guessing for the fact that you two know who that is and I don't. There's only two possibilities. Either that's that that's he, he's like a ballet dancer because I know you're into ballet. <laughs> would it be a football thing it is an iconic football commentator yeah that many, that many uh, football oh, fans well, know but I'm, you I'm... have I think Andy if everything goes south if we get cancelled on part of the gaps you could become a sports commentator you have a quite a good commentary voice doesn't he the he does, is, although if we get cancelled from part of the gaps, yeah. the chances are he definitely will be cancelled from, like, you know, oh, national broadcasting. There we yeah. are. But given the sports I'm into are, like, things like rock climbing and chess, they are not really known for, like, exciting commentary. And he's clipped on the rope. Uh, and he's <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, yeah. Go on, no, I'm, go glad, on. I'm glad it being a football-related thing, it wasn't someone like Victoria Beckham, because that would have been career-ending. That's true. Yeah, for other reasons, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you can just pretend, listeners, pretend that there was a segue. I, I ruined the segue. It was the best segue we've had in weeks. Broke I've broken segue. it, but it was worth it to mock Andy for being a bit like Clive Tildesley or give him an, a, another career option. So our segue would have been that our, our episode today is going to be about climate change. And of course, many of you may be familiar if you're listening to this um, at the time it is, it's released. We've got COP26 going on in Andy's uh, current country of residence in Glasgow, uh, up in Scotland. Um, and so we have climate change on the agenda. We've seen it in the news. It's been discussed all over social media. And there's various voices going back and forth. There's all this uh, drama around how imperative uh, climate change is and the politicians who are responsible for making the decisions uh, regarding the future of the planet. And so there's all sorts of ways we could think about this. It's very easy to get swept up in the emotion of uh, what we see in the headlines and uh, there's also all sorts of unhelpful thinking on the right and the left and uh, I think I thought we, we all thought it'd be a good idea to kind of wade into it part of the gap style and see if we could kick some ideas around are there better or worse ways to think about climate change particularly from a Christian perspective so Michael I you know you've, you've written about this in your recent book uh, making sense of life why don't you um, kick us off and give us your reflections on, on how we should start thinking about climate change yeah, I think, I mean, it's like you can't miss it at the moment, as you say, because it's kind of all over the news. Um, everyone's talking about it. Um, and I guess it's been interesting reflecting on that. Um, I was chatting to a, a friend who's been involved in um, taking photographs at, at COP26, and uh, he is involved in f- photographing various kind of environmental projects. And I kind of ran something by him, which I think he agreed with, which was to an extent, like, environmentalism as a concern seems to have been somewhat um, uh, hijacked maybe by this kind of obsession maybe with CO2 emissions. Um, And so on the one hand, there's a kind of genuine genuine concern for the environment, um, which I think as we'll explore, Christians should have, um, which I think is kind of founded in, you know, our stewardship of creation and so on. Um, But it's almost like the only issue that is being talked about at the moment is, how do we reduce our CO2 emissions? I think it's my three concerns on that would be, um, firstly, do many of the things that we think reduce our CO2 emissions really reduce them? <laughs> like, does going yeah. vegan really kind of improve the environment or does shipping in your avocados from abroad actually <laughs> um, end up being worse than drinking your milk from down the road? Mm. Um, I guess, secondly, what difference does it make if we reduce our CO2 emissions in the UK, partly by shipping off all our industry to other parts of the world and other parts of the world just increase their co2 emissions i mean like it doesn't really work if like one country opts in and the rest opts out Mm. um 
And I guess thirdly, and perhaps most controversially, to what degree does CO2 emissions track um, climate change? Like, I don't think any of us would deny that climate changes and that climate is changing. Um, but to what degree does human influence, particularly in regards to CO2 emissions, do that? And I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate on that. So, so I think given all of those questions, one of my concerns just seems to be like there are a whole load of other real concerns we should have about our environments that seem to be ignored or just not getting airtime because it's kind of been railroaded on this one particular issue. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting what you say. There's something about the atmosphere, isn't there, of the, the drama and the furore about it. And, and it's almost as though, you know, since 2020, uh, we've had a, there's, there's been just various, it's almost like a, a Richter scale of a different kind of earth shattering event that you have to, it's the only thing that matters. Like race is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Gender is the only thing that matters uh, in terms of these certain justice issues. And now climate change is the only thing that matters. And, and it's really almost exhausting, isn't it, that we have this kind of constant narrative of sort of fear that kind of comes mm. comes at us about the, the drama around this a certain issue. Kind of, Andy, is this something you've kind of seen yourself? Yeah, very much so. I was, um, you know, obviously been reflecting on, on COP26 quite a lot because it's obviously happening in Glasgow, which is just down the road. So even as you uh, even as you approach like Dundee, which is like an hour and a half from Glasgow, you see the signs on the road saying, you know, COP26 happening, there may be, you know, this may cause traffic congestion. So, uh, so you know, there's interesting <laughs> news here about while the rest of the world are quite excited about COP26. I think a lot of locals here are like, oh, gosh, really? Um, yeah, I, mean, I think there's so many things we could say. Michael's touched on a, on a few. Three, three things that struck me. Michael talked in threes, so I'll talk in threes. The first is the fear that you talked <laughs> about, Aaron. Yeah, I get, I get very... So I get, I think, I think they're very, very nervous, but also I get maybe quite sort of, um, you know, I get quite stubborn actually when people use fears to try and manipulate people. I don't like mm. that at all. That hasn't got a good track record in history, and uh, it reminds me of the, you know, the old sort of po- the, the, the story about you know the politician who knew his 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 uh, his debate was fairly, his debating notes were fairly weak, so he'd written in the side mm-hmm. of his margin, you know, point is weak here, shout louder, and mm-hmm. I think fear is often used when the argumentation is is bad. Yeah, sure, there are things about the environment that are serious. But I think getting yeah. to a stage where you literally now have a, a – I forget the name of it, but there's a named psychological condition where you've got young people who are so terrified about the future they just don't see any point in living and having to be mm. counselled out of that one. So the fear piece I don't like. And, in fact, it's interesting. As someone who was, would consider himself fairly much, I suppose, an you know, environmentalist with a small – with a lowercase – E, you know, we drove a, a hybrid before it was cool. Actually, we were driving hybrids <laughs> in the in the mid two thousands. Um, you know, we you mean because it wasn't it wasn't cool because it was cool because you know well, it, it wasn't it wasn't a big sort of trendy thing that hey everyone's going to drive mm. you know part electric cars. We just we just saw an early Toyota Prius, thought it was a really fun bit of tech, thought it'd make mm. a bit of a difference. So I thought we'd give it a go. Um, mm. We've got meters of shelf shelves on my on my and my study shelves on um on environment issues and, and, and books on nature writing but actually mm. cop 26 has actually turned me off the environment quite frankly i mm. thought i'd have been glued to the you know the live stream mm. listening to the great speeches and really interesting stuff instead it's been a lot of rich people telling working class people how to change their their lives which i so mm. i found that interesting later mm. that's the hypocrisy um mm. you know and it's been talked about a lot but the number of world leaders and and and, and sort of you know important types who flew in on private jets and whatever there was yeah. a here in the uk there was a story of a you know a, a sort of local politician from brighton down on the south coast who you know flew up on a plane uh to kind of attend something at cop 26 he didn't need to be there he's not some civic important you know mm. politician just some minor civic dignitary but i think fancied his moment of glory and then got mm. called out because he's a he's a he's a local councillor in 
Brighton, I think, for the Green. Oh, but Brighton, Party. I'm from Brighton, and, and the, so my family have, had complained regularly about uh, people, any locals did at the time, because the Green Party are in. It's one yeah, of the only places right. that are actually in in Brighton, isn't it? That might be why. But yeah, that's maybe right. so he's a Green Party councillor, and then he had to yeah. come out and apologise and do the usual, oh, it doesn't represent my true values, and it was a mis- yeah. mistake, and he got the train back. So there's that piece, <laughs> the sheer hypocrisy. Piece <laughs> that's amazing. Of and Jesus had quite a lot to say yeah. about hypocrisy, methinks. Yeah. And then lastly, I suppose, just as a, as a start of a sort of 10 on this, is the, is the kind of simple-mindedness. Michael's touched on this in terms of issues that aren't talked about because of the carbon fixation. For me, one of the big ones is plastic. As someone who who, who loves the loves the ocean, spends a lot of time walking, you know, the amazing coastlines we have here in Scotland. I love the mountains, but I love the coastline too. You can't walk along the average beach, even in the furthest flung parts of the UK, um, mm. without seeing plastic on the beaches. That's mm. an issue that is not talked about nearly enough because mm. it, for some reason, doesn't seem to be sexy kind of mm. right now. And that, but the simple-mindedness extends to a bigger issue, which is, you know, one of the people who's made the most splash around environmental issues in recent years is, is Greta Thunberg, uh, you know, that sort of Swedish teenage uh, environmental activist with a cheery smile. Actually, she hasn't got a cheery smile, has she? I've never seen Greta smile. She's got a sort of dour, Greta's not pleased with you kind of face. But watching her rant at world leaders after the first week of COVID, I've got COP26, because they hadn't responded the way she wanted to. You know, I, I wanted to sit her down and go, Greta, my dear, first, you're not you're not elected. You've got no accountability. Secondly, you're a one issue person. That's very easy. Politicians of all parties, you know, yes, we can throw stones at them, but they've had to deal with COP26. They've had uh, with COVID. They've had to deal with they have to deal with, uh, you know, uh, economies that are in free fall. They have to deal with unemployment. They have to deal with health, defense, all these other things. And yes, they have to deal with climate. And it's not unimportant. Um, but I think the idea that we would take seriously, and that's what's worried me, eight, me the media taking the you know, half-formed opinions of an 18-year-old with mm-hmm. no life experience mm-hmm. and taking that more seriously than somebody who's got decades of political experience and mm-hmm. electoral accountability. We mm-hmm. somehow have our entire compass uh, on these issues mm-hmm. completely upside down. Mm-hmm. So those are the three things mm-hmm. I would start with. I know it's very negative. We'll get to some positives kind of later but in a way you're sort of pointing you're both sort of pointing out to some of the problems in in a way uh, that you're having a go you're critiquing the negativity of, of others in a way which you could argue is, is trying to argue for positive um uh, in in the sense that and i totally see that the hypocrisy is a huge element whether or not things can work uh in terms of how the approaches we're taking the strategies clearly something has to be done and, and should be done but the okay, so how much we're investing in these ideas or strategies is ob- almost given you know biblical proportions of significance um, like as though these are kind of 10 commandments if you do not do this you're kind of sinning against the world and your fellow human and i think there's almost a sense of law coming like the religious element of this coming in which is not i don't think it's disconnected from the way in which younger people over the last three or four years and maybe particularly in the last two years have almost been galvanized by as many of these kind of justice issues, which is not a bad thing. Of course, it's always been a thing of younger generations to push, and they should push against the older generations and challenge the, the kind of older conventions. But there needs to be attitudes of humility and some sense of a compass about how we work out priority. Exactly as you say, Andy, there's, you know, leaders have to judge priorities and balances. And it's very easy for someone to throw stones and fire and create fire and anger uh, without really thinking of the the wider picture, the bigger picture, and and sometimes not even really knowing for sure, we just apparently know 
that if you don't do X, then this, then Y and Z will happen for sure. This is like a, an Old Testament prophet almost saying this is this is definitely how it is. Um, and and so I think there's almost a sort of religious legalistic sense in which people hold this, which I think I'm also very uncomfortable with. But what, what if what if I'm just to throw it out again, and you can both chip in however you want. What if um, because I mentioned the Old Testament prophets, and obviously mostly what they were doing, let's say Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, are saying things that everyone else is saying the opposite of. And usually they're saying, uh, not always, but usually they're saying something bad is going to happen. And it's the false prophets who are saying, don't worry, everything's fine. So maybe as a devil's advocate, someone might come along and say, oh, you guys, I'm part of the gaps. You're, you're almost saying it's not so bad as all that. You know, stop, get off your high horse, Greta, uh, and things. And actually, the, the true prophets are the ones who are saying doom is coming. What, what are your kind of Thoughts on that. Well, let me let me just say a couple of things, kind of there that occurs. I mean, I mean, first, it's a good point. I think, I think we'll come, we may come to this as the show goes on, right? That I think Christians, ironically, have made two massive mistakes here, and we'll perhaps we'll come to this later. One is that they've you know uncritically embraced the a lot of the that's the extreme end of the environmental movement. The you know Exhibit A would be the lunatic sight of Justin kind of well be the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, comparing, you know, not acting on climate change to the Holocaust and to Nazism. And I'm like, Justin, I've been worried that you've gone you've gone a bit nuts in recent months. I mean oh, yeah. I think now he's completely off the reservation and accelerating hard. He's kind of achieved escape velocity from reason. Um I mean that's an example of it going completely mad. The other hand there was that church in, in Glasgow that made lots of news because they had that poster, you know, outside their church on one of the major roads leading to a lot of the COP26 kind of conference venues. They put a sign up outside their church saying the world's most urgent need is churches preaching Christ crucified, not climate change. And almost wow. that sort of sense of we're going to turn our back on it. We don't need to worry because all we need to do is talk about, uh, you know, the simple message of of sin, the cross, the atonement, and we can ignore everything else. And I think surely there has to be a, 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 a middle ground. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say. And then I think what I would want to say in terms of that, 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 you know, that message that of, of reality, which is what the Old Testament prophets were, were preaching. I think what I would say is firstly, there was a context in which that was, that was said, which is of course in, which is a, which is a kind of theistic, uh, kind of context. They weren't just spouting it because that's what everyone else was saying. They were actually being quite countercultural. They're delivering a message from, from God uh, himself. Mm. So I'd want to be saying, mm. I suppose, what yeah. is, you know, what is the message of the Bible? on the environment we need to we need to be thinking about that one but then mm. i think secondly is exactly what michael and i said a moment ago of going actually the biggest concern right now i don't think carbon is arguably the biggest issue in the environment camp uh, yeah. uh, the, i mean what's gone wrong with the environment i think as i say plastic plastic in the oceans deforestation uh, extinctions uh, what's happening to certain animal populations mm. and our care for you know other parts of god's good creation i think there's a vast amount that we need to be thinking about mm. and i think we've got disconnected uh, from those mm. issues and then last thing i just throw in and we come back at this maybe later i also thought we, we missed the fact that the environment is at root actually a profoundly christian uh, mm. movement ironically mm. um, and i think we've forgotten that in all of, of this i don't think environmentalism works if it's not properly connected to the church in a healthy way in Christian theology, I don't actually think you can build an atheistic foundation for creation care. Uh, and so there's a work of Christians here actually to do kind of recapturing this issue, framing it more helpfully, um, and then actually motivating people in a way to change rather than just yelling at them. That's really interesting. And Michael, I'll let you jump in just a second. Um, I just wanted to, that's a really interesting point you ended on there, Andy, on, on the secular view. We've often talked on this podcast about some of the things we notice in culture 
and how a certain trend towards secularism or, or as secularism dawns on people, the implications of the meaninglessness of life, whether they admit to the meaninglessness mm. or not. Um, we have systems, structures, philosophical climate, which tends towards this and people's lives of consumerism, how people live their lives. They don't live their lives as though God exists, to use that, you know, Jordan Peterson phrase these uh he's used before uh, we don't that, that's that, that's the problem of the west like a significant problem in the west that we don't have this sense of a higher power let alone one who's revealed himself in christ within the way that christ did in in love um but then again so there might be a sense in which the furor around cop 26 is is related to secularism so you say it's not the solution but it's almost like well this is the only thing they have this if this is the only thing is is the earth and everything in it there isn't anything beyond it uh, and so all we can do is fight for this. It almost gives a new sense of meaning, almost gives you a religious cause when you're not religious in some way. But the other thing I'd want to just quickly say, I want to slightly push back on your critique of the Glasgow church because I heard the sign. You said, I didn't know about this. And, and I, I thought, oh, great, that's cool. Um, and I don't think, they, it doesn't sound to me like they were saying uh, climate change doesn't matter. Maybe they, I don't know them. You Maybe you do know them. But they're saying it's not the most urgent need. And it is true, it's the, it is the case that the most urgent need is the gospel, always. I do think that is always the most urgent need of humanity. Absolutely is. Yeah. Eternal separation from God is the essential thing. Now, we might say, well, if you don't have a, a climate, then everyone's dead, and therefore they yeah. can't reach the gospel. But then they still have the eternal problem. If everyone's dead, why does it matter? Unless if, yes. if you're not reconciled. Well, no, well, let me just run very quickly to your, to, your, to your pushback on my kind of sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing there. I mean, I was being slightly iconoclastic. I, I, think, I think, obviously, you know, what you said at the, uh, the end, I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm an evangelist. Okay? That's my bread and butter is, you know, believing passionately yeah, yeah, yeah. in the power of the gospel. And, uh, and that, you know, that is the most Im- important thing. But I think, a cu- I think a couple of things of going, you know, signs and communications don't happen uh, in a vacuum. There's always a context. And given that Chris- there is a context of Christians messing up this issue, firstly, I, I think that, that, that whoever wrote that sign up, needed their head slightly red actually because of going mm. it was it ran the risk of being taken a particular way mm. secondly of course that fact that that sign is facing to the street if you see the photo of it it's not inside the church it's facing outward but it's critiquing mm. other christians it's not talking to the world the world have no idea that they need christ crucified mm. that's why christians need to go and be jesus hands and feet and voice and in being the you know the, the message of good news um mm. so if you want to tell other christians off for jumping on this issue by all means do that but stand up at a christian mm. conference publish that take out a full page mm. advert in church mm. times or something don't stick it on the high street where basically you're having an internal christian spat in the full view of folks who don't know Christ. And then thirdly, to me, I suppose the evangelist to me is, what a massive missed opportunity. What a missed opportunity to put a table or a stand or a booth outside the church to engage people on the issue, uh, you know, to use it as a gospel connection. Michael, The chapter in Michael's book is brilliant. It shows how you can do that. Um, and uh, I think it was, to me, it was an example of Christians just grumping at each other rather than going out and engaging the world. Because I think actually there's this very strange connection between between the environmental movement and spirituality. There's a lot of very strange, you know, eco spirituality, new age spirituality sloshing around. Because I think actually when you start caring for a creation, it leads you that direction. And rather than see that as a threat, let's I would go all Act 17 and go, how do we build a connection? off that and i think that was an an unbelievably missed opportunity to do that it's a really good point on the communication so michael the answer clearly is that they needed to get a stall with your books being sold outside and i want 10 percent for everyone sold because i just set that up for you to put it back of the goal excellent i was practicing my football commentators 
That's it. That's perfect. There you go. Can I come back to, you mentioned about like, you know, the prophets in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and and how Mm -hmm. they were, um, you know, like in one sense, you know, saying things are worse rather than like Mm -hmm. things are okay. I I guess one of the things I'd say about um, the prophets though is that they were willing to say things that challenge the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worry sometimes when like, particularly on the environment, like everyone thinks they're being hugely radical when they're actually saying what everyone else is already saying. Yeah. And then Christians can jump on the bandwagon and say like, oh, we're being hugely kind of radical and Christian. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, did you genuinely come to that conviction about the environment because you happen to read your Bible a lot more? Mm. Or did you just try and theologize and like put a Christian stamp on what's already happening? So I think we just need to be a bit Mm. better at that. And I think we can do this on all sorts of issues, can't we? You know, we've already talked about issues of racism and how we respond to that as Christians. And the danger that we just kind of take a kind of political movement and then Christianize it rather than think more deeply and theologically about it. Mm. And I guess... um, I did do it in the book, which you kind of kindly uh, gave a lab for. <laughs> I was really trying to say two things in the chapter about what makes the Christian response to environmental concern different, maybe, to what we hear so much about. Um, and one is to say, actually, the problem goes deeper, but the solution is greater. So the problem mm. goes deeper because actually the problem the Bible says with our world is not just technological, it's actually the human heart. And actually, the selfishness of the human heart, which drives a lot of the problems that we see in our world around mm. us. Um, mm. And if you mind me quoting, uh, but it is a really brilliant quote um, from a guy called Gus Speth, who was an American environmental lawyer. Oh, I thought you were going to quote yourself from a guy called Michael Ott. Who's this oh, no, sorry. This is a really awkward thing. Sometimes um, when I give a talk, I end up using quotes that I've included in my book. <laughs> and it looks like I'm reading my own book <laughs> in terms of a talk, but it just saves me writing them all out again. Um, yeah, yeah, said, yeah, yeah, we believe you. We believe you. <laughs> this is Gus Beth, not Michael Ott speaking right now. Well, it is Michael Ott speaking, but quoting Gus Beth. Okay. <laughs> I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems. I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. Mm. So actually saying the problem is much deeper. We think if we can just invent better technology, we'll sort the world out. Mm. And the Bible says, no, actually, the problem is at the heart of humanity. We've not kept, we've not honoured that creation mandate to steward the world well. We've not done a good job. But then, of course, the flip side of that is if humanity is part of the problem, humanity can also be part of the solution. And we are given the job to steward creation well i think sometimes there's a view today that sees humans only as a detrimental influence on the world yeah and actually i want to celebrate the way that humans can be a positive influence on the world i mean it's amazing we live out in the countryside we look over the fields it's funny when you get city folk coming out to the country they look over the fields and they think oh this is nature it's so lovely <laughs> un- un- kind of unspoiled nature and i said you do realize the english countryside would not look like that <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. for the fact that farmers had farmed it i mean there is a kind of human yeah. dimension you know yeah. a garden wouldn't look like that if yeah. everyone would just left to go to go to go wild yeah. and so on yeah. So we can be positive. And then I guess also on that, I want to say counter to the narrative of fear, which is so often the thing that is driving the whole kind of movement at the moment. Christians are people, people characterized by hope. Mm. And it's interesting. Someone was commenting, you know, Christians used to be mocked for saying the end is nigh. And yet now it's kind of secular environmentalists that are saying the mm. end is nigh. And in a way, as a Christian, we want to say, you know, 
the, the Bible says this isn't the end of the world. Um, actually, there's wonderful hope for this creation. And it is because we have hope for this creation that we're driven to care for it and look after it. Yeah. We're not floating yeah. off to some spiritual yeah. dimension. This is, yeah. this is our home. Yeah. And therefore, we yeah. need to look after it. That's really Just to pick up very quickly before Aaron jumps in yeah. on the um, on that very that almost sort of uh, you know anti-human turn mm. that you can mm. find in some of the environmental movements. I mean, I think you know David Attenborough, the famous environmentalist, is on, you know on record of using the language of, of you know the human beings almost a plague on the earth. Mm. I find fascinating is that is that despite doing that, that you can't get away, can you, from the fact that it's only human beings who are who are actually accountable for their actions so you know we don't see david going around moralizing about foxes or you know complaining uh you know about some other part of the ecosystem being being overrun by something or about you know whatever it is it's human beings are on the one hand you know of course if you're an atheist environmentalist you've got this strange contradiction where you're committed to the idea that you know we are just atoms and particles we are just a very cleverly evolved primate but somehow we are the only ones with a responsibility to fix things and i think that's what i find fascinating in all of this you alluded it to, to it earlier michael and it comes up in your book too that i think you know it's fascinating that when you come across somebody who's 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 passionate about things environmental i think a great question is to ask them why you know why give a flying monkeys about the environment because yeah. it struck me a few years ago someone who's very committed to these issues that all the reasons i was hearing from you know from the literature from books from magazines from organizations we supported from friends who are not christians in these movements is every reason i came across that was given as an answer to that question was for, was profoundly selfish you know mm. we should care about sea level rise because it will affect human habitation you mm. know we should care about you know the loss of pollinators like you know bees and wasps and insects because they pollinate our crops well hang on a minute that's yeah. that's benefiting us so in other words it's all about us we should care about future generations well, again, that's human future generations. And I, the more I thought about this, going, gosh, actually, the only foundation that really works for caring for the environment as the environment is the one the Bible off would offer, which is the fact that this is God's good gift mm. to us. And just as you would care for a gift that, you know, one of our wives gave us a beautiful Christmas present that she'd put huge thought and effort into choosing. And if you just then took, opened that present, took one look at it and threw mm. it in the mud, you know, quite rightly, there'd be a reaction um, just in the same way that if God has given this planet to us and the creation as a beautiful gift to us as a sign of his love for us, then there's some responsibility comes out of that. And I think that actually gives a basis uh, for the environment movement um, that isn't there anywhere else. And one of the tragedies of what, you know, Justin Welby did in his ridiculous, you know, Nazi pony show last where did that metaphor come from uh, it's going to sound like he it, people are going to think justin will be set up some kind of massive Nazi torch parade or something <laughs> yes i know is that he missed again like that voice like that like that sign that that church put up he also missed yeah. an incredible opportunity to go it's fantastic that we're all here in glasgow talking about mm. these things because mm. and then he could have done this great segue i think to why christians care why there's an answer here and then let's roll up our sleeves and work on some stuff together but rather than that that was a massive missed opportunity yeah i mean if he wanted a segue he could have just asked us we are the masters of segues on part of the gaps aren't we um so um so i, I have three reflections to come off of what you've both said so if i forget to get to them so i want to talk about this thing of creation um human-centeredness 
and what Michael was saying about hope. So if I forget, you can be my secretaries maybe and remind me in the, in the, in the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> the I'm first 50, thing, 50 pounds an hour. And, 50 pounds uh, an hour, is that what you charge? Well, I'll make sure it's short. Planted. That's what I charge for secretarial work. Okay, that's right. I know you're so environmental, of course, with your, with your Absolutely. Prius. Absolutely, carbon offsetting. Um, absolutely. So the first thing about theology of creation, I think you're really right, Andy, that, and it links to what Michael's saying as well, but we need a distinctive Christian response. We can't, we can't just jump on the bandwagon of the secularists and go, oh, or the agnostics, or the people of the new woke uh, left, to go. Oh, look! Yes, this is all we. God cares about uh, about the world too. He made it for goodness' sake. So therefore, we'll just kind of tag along and do what you want to do, and we'll just call it something else. It's not. That's not the way the church is supposed to respond. The church in here, Ephesians three ten is supposed to bring the manifold wisdom of God to the world. That's why mission and church often go together, and it's so, it's so central. Um, and so I think the church is regularly, Welby's a perfect example of, of just jumping after you know, through hoops of whatever the latest thing is. And of course, he tries to be radical and sometimes he succeeds more than others. But generally speaking, follows whatever's not, you know, not going to get him uh, in trouble and it's going to acquiesce with what was already being said beyond the church. How convenient yet again, uh, we just say something that no one's going to tell us off for or the you know, if they do tell us off, it's people on the further right or something who are going to be mean. Uh, so it's really interesting. So, 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 but I do think in recovering the theology of creation stuff, I went to a really interesting concert kind of event the other day by a resound worship. You may have heard of them, a kind of band of sort of worship musicians who, who really exist as a sort of ministry to serve the church with songs. And of course, songs and theology are so tightly bound. We learn a lot of our theology by what we sing. And they they felt really stirred to, to do an album on on these issues of, of climate change and so we haven't really got enough songs that speak about creation and how we steward it and how we care for it and so they came up with this phrase called doxicology you could google it they said if you google it, it's the only thing that comes up because it's an invented phrase doxicology which is like dox meaning like doxology like praise and ecology of course sort of care for the environment so doxicology um is this album they've kind of come up with. and i went to it it's really interesting i was mixed in the sense that some of the songs i was less comfortable with some of them were just great because they were re- referring to how wonderful God is as a creator. I know we have some songs on this, but we don't have enough that really emphasize that. And it stirs you to care about these issues in a different way to the kind of fear and law and anger that we've seen recently. You know, Obama's solution was to make the young people stay angry. I want you to stay angry. And is is that the best way to motivate people for a generation? Is that not just going to generate more heat? So if we get this wonderful vista of who God is as creator, we are going to find different kinds of solutions in our own lives that are going to honour him as creator and steward his creation. And the other thing there was that they um, referred to a, a phrase um, that they came across in a booklet by Operation Noah called Tenants of the King. That's what we are. And I, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. My little brother used to work for Operation Noah. So I texted him and said, do you know anything about this phrase, Tenants of the King? He said, yeah, I wrote it. I was like, oh, did you know that you inspired the song that I'm listening to at this concert? It was quite amusing. And I thought that is an interesting phrase, that we are tenants. And therefore, how does a tenant sort of act? We're there to sort of steward. We are there to, you know, this is kind of the world is on loan to us. And he's given it to us as a gift. Uh, and how do we sort of appreciate his creation as a gift. And it reminds me of that phrase uh, in Paul in uh, 1 Timothy 4, where, where he's dealing with aesthetic, ascetic, as in kind of non-aesthetic, sort of withdrawing from uh, pleasure and, and indulgence almost, uh, ascetic legalism. Uh, this kind of, don't do this, don't do that, don't get married, don't eat this. Um, Paul is dealing with that as a kind of false teaching. And he's sort of saying everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. 
because uh, it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. So Christians can take a genuine faith response here and thanksgiving and praise and say, I love creation, I love God, and, and in the midst of my enjoyment of creation, I also want to steward it and be a good tenant and not a tenant who's going to come, you know, to trash the place. But equally, God isn't going to come to us at the end of time and go, here's your inventory of all of the property that you spent. I, I, we are tenants in our, our family, and we've been, you know, gotten by our on our deposit many times at the end of a, a tenancy where you know the sort of landlord is very very litigious about how they go about it is that how god is going to treat us and and some of the ways we lament uh, about creation seem to be as though that's the main thing on god's agenda so i don't know if you have any thoughts on that before i jump into the hmm. other stuff no i think that's um i think that's helpful and i think particularly i think you know one of the areas i alluded to the um the fact i made a passing comment near the top of the show about the fact that it's often forgotten that the roots of the environmental movement are thoroughly Christian. Um, I'm doing a series of lectures on the on the environment a few years ago and doing the doing some work on that. There's a wonderful book called Inherit the Holy Mountain uh, by Mark Knoll, which which traces that, particularly for the USA, all the founders of the National Park Movement, virtually all of them, um, and the environmental movement in the kind of sort of uh, in the you know in the last century, beginning of the 20th century were either, you know, men and women who were, who were Christian or have been profoundly influenced by being raised in Christian homes. I mean, John Muir is, a, is an absolute classic, you know, Scottish Presbyterian, wanders away from his faith for a while, comes back to it in the end. Uh, you know, um, Rachel Carson, whose book Silent Spring kind of kicked off the modern environmental movement. You know, not sure what she believed in, in later life, but, you know, very profoundly Christian kind of upbringing, went to a Christian college. Um, and his point is simply that, you know, it's a thoroughly Christian Movement here in the here in uh, the UK, National Trust. You know, Canon Rawnsley, one of the founders of that organisation. So I think Christians, in one sense, to those who are nervous about the environmental movement, I want to say we need to get back to our roots, and we need more Christians involved in those movements. Not just clapping our hands and saying what everybody else is saying, but bringing a distinctly Christian voice. But then to those, I think, who are perhaps tempted, as as you say, to to run away you know, from it into a kind of, well, it's, you know, what's the point? Uh, you know, we're mm. called to just spiritual things, quote unquote, mm. of going, you know, I'm surprised, I'm amazed how earthy the New Testament is, that message of new creation, mm. which is what our hope is pinned mm. on, right? Anyone who is in Christ, they're a new creation. You and I have new creation bodies to look forward to in the resurrection. But that promise is attached to the, the earth as well. There'll be a new heavens mm. and a new earth. Mm. And I think that's that gives me hope. But whatever we do to this planet, it's not an excuse for trashing it. In just the same way, there's you know, no excuse for me coming around and punching you in the face and breaking your nose. Going, well, you're going to get a new creation body. What are you complaining about? Mm. Um, I think God might have a thing or two to say. But it also mm. means that plastic in the ocean and other things are not the last word because God mm. loves this world tremendously. And mm. uh, and the cross has some cosmic implications mm. as well. Mm. So hold those things mm. together. But it also be Christians whose theology is, 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 is grounded. And again, we've come back to this on this podcast before i love that imagery that, that c.s lewis draws on you know at the end of the last battle where you have mm. exactly that idea of narnia made afresh further up and further in is the cry mm. not 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 higher up and further out and mm. uh, and i think actually christian theology and uh, the new testament taken seriously should help us mm. love creation properly not not idolize it not stick it not, yeah. not not be terrified not stick our heads in the ground and ignore it but to go we can see it through from the perspective mm. of the cross mm. and uh, what yeah. the cross says about god's love for for yes mm. for you and i but also for the world that he mm. he made as john three sixteen reminds us mm. Mm. and just on that it's great to see you know there are obviously christians who are doing really wonderful stuff on that i mean arosha um, a christian organization who specialize in creation care i love the little tagline on their website stories of hope and there's loads of stories of, of 
very specific projects around the world where they've been able to make a real difference. Um, uh, like sometimes I think we think about it on such a big scale um, that we forget there are very specific projects where Christians can make a real difference um, to our world. A friend of mine who's a photographer has done a wonderful project looking at churches in uh, northern Ethiopia and how basically in an area that's been massively deforested, these churches are basically the heart of little islands of new forest uh, where the churches have actually been at the forefront of protecting the forest. And he's got these beautiful kind of aerial shots of mm. these um, churches at the centre of kind of kind of a green mass of, of trees. Mm. And just looking at how actually the churches there have been um, like at the forefront of, of ecological concern mm. and mm. and all because of the kind of outworking of, of their, their theology. Uh, mm. So it can make a real practical mm. difference. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, so to, to bring in, I'm going to try and squidge these other points together in the <laughs> remaining time we have. I'll, I'll try and sneak them together. Mm. Um before we come into land um so what you've both alluded to how the church needs to be at the forefront of this and how our theology of hope our theology of the gospel should lead to uh, what we do differently and how we respond to issues like climate change i think on the one hand we've got this problem of humans thinking too much of themselves in in the culture we're in um and at the same time almost sort of losing the dig- their own dignity so we have things like planet earth which you may have seen that kind of do- amazing documentary or the series that came after with david attenborough um which was wonderful and glorious and sort of showed us how wonderful creation is but it did have a kind of element to it of almost showing we're really humans are just another kind of animal um we're just not that almost you know we're putting the dignity of humanity down now of course the humans need to think less of themselves in one sense but also more of themselves if we are created by god to be his tenants or stewards um, and to bring something of his kingdom in this world so that's kind of a challenge to not to comment on really but the other thing is you both say both alluded to hope i'm thinking again of nt wright's book surprised by hope and the sort of eschatology which is sort of the study of the end times what do we think of the theology of what's going to happen. How do the new heavens and the new earth manifest? Is it by us making the environment a little bit better, a little bit better? Is thing, are things getting better until he comes? Or is he going to come in a more dramatic way uh, and do something that's very different to what our smaller hopes are? Which sort of alludes to what you've said. So any kind of comments on that before? Yeah. Well, at the risk of being, you know, I'm going to, obviously I live in Scotland, so I need to be a little pessimistic. I think um, another thing we've we've talked about a bit on this this show before. I know we're going to do an episode on on this theme because uh, it's on the list of things we want to cover, which is Tolkien, right, and Lord of the Rings. Mm. And one of the themes I know that we've talked before, the three of us about, is we that theme that runs through Lord of the Rings of the long defeat. You know, the elves talk about fighting the long defeat. They're, they're holding out, they're doing the right thing, they're fighting the good fight, but they also know that long term they're going to have to, they're going to lose, they're going to have to withdraw and go back mm. over there over the ocean and i think as christians there's something in that i mean lord of the rings is a profoundly christian book and i think if you read the new testament seriously i think it tells us it tells me that there are outworkings of the gospel being a follower of christ means we do fight for justice we do take a stand against poverty you can't read the gospels and ignore that we do wade into things like climate change and the big issues of the day we can't we, we can't be unengaged if you're an unengaged christian i don't think you're taking the gospel seriously but we also do that knowing that yeah, there'll be some ups, but there'll also be a lot of downs because things are going to to get worse because there is coming a time when ultimately it will look like evil has triumphed until that last moment when Christ returns and uh, and finally deals with evil and injustice once and for all. And the moment we get into our heads 
that we can just change things and make things better just through you know progressivism or signing up for the national trust or the right environmental organization or somehow trying better i think firstly i think it it runs the risk of of pride maybe not on an individual level but on a, on a on a on a on a species level that we we raise humans up a little bit more but it also does that not also i think lead to nothing it leads to grim disappointments because you know you will be let down um ultimately you know there's always another environmental issue to fight there's always another poor uh person who requires your your help there's always another injustice and i think if somehow we place our hope on we've got to make the world better and don't take seriously jesus words the poor will always be with you uh, and and other similar messages that's not to be pessimistic because god is on the throne and the message of the new testament is you know hold out trust in christ look to the cross uh, you know, live out what it means to be a Christian in this broken world, but know that ultimately it doesn't depend on me, but depends on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. I was going to point to Michael there for a final evangelistic, you know, fervent declaration, but I think we can happily end uh, on that note from uh, from Andy. Um, uh, so thank you, you so much. You can read Michael's for... book, right? If you want. Oh yeah, sorry, of course. Yeah, Michael said enough. He said enough here. We just we're, te- we're we're selling his books by the. So much, load, I can yeah well I can I can do them for two pound a copy because I got them for one pound a copy so whatever Michael <laughs> says talk to me first because listeners I can get you a deal <laughs> excellent well I was, well I hope this was just a funny good. story on that I was at a conference over the weekend but I only arrived on Sunday and I had intended to give away a free copy to everyone at the conference but I realized there'd been a bookstore there the day before where everyone had paid for them so when I came along and gave them away people were like oh I wouldn't have paid for it yesterday I'm like well now you get a free one you can give away and then well, on the journey home yeah but you may forget you know there's, there's you've got form here by the way just as we come to an end to go because we had uh we had michael up for a, a solas conference do you remember this michael in aberdeen and we were encouraging people to sign up to support the organization and we had this great gig going going if you sign up to support solas you get a copy of my book and a copy of michael's book free and then michael you get to the stage and go well i'll give you my book as a as a, as a, as a freebie you know it's, it's <laughs> do you remember that and i my poor my, one of my poor event guys is going oh great that's our that's our sign up for solas like demolished um, well, my slight so, um, concern was, I was just going to say, on the drive home, I pulled out of the conference centre, was going down the road, and I saw something in the road, and I thought, that's very strange. Got out the car, <laughs> and it was literally my discarded book in the middle of the road. So clearly, <laughs> giving away my book for free means that people don't value it, which is a little bit like, you know, not valuing creation, if we want That's to lovely. I like that segue. So, if like, you value like, creation, buy Michael's book. That's Michael's, the, that's Michael's book, exactly. And, of course, your yeah, listeners should know, you know, in the, in the making of this episode, and, and I'm sure that Michael's book, both Andy and Michael, as but you know, itinerant evangelists, they have actually said they'll give up the use of their private jets for one month just to honour uh, COP26. So, you know, I think I'm going to go really further good. than that, Aaron. I will commit never to use a private jet ever, ever again. Um, that's, not that that's I ever really have used one, but I can still make that that. Commitment. You make that public declaration. I was going to say, you know, as an evangelist, you know, some evangelists get a bad name for having private planes. I just have a private pilot, so that just makes sense. <laughs> you do. Your wife's a pilot, of course. Yeah, yeah. that's so we oh, get in trouble. Way, if if, like, just if take... morality is leveled on CO two emissions alone, we yeah, are yeah. the biggest. That doesn't take that, that doesn't just take the biscuit. That takes the entire tea trolley. But you know, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Well, on that note, on that bombshell, on that tea trolley, uh, we will uh, bring this aeroplane into land aeroplane of an episode into land and um say goodbye to you uh, listeners for another uh, week or so and i hope you found this helpful and instructive as always we're so delighted to hear your feedback and encouragement and uh, questions you may have for us come and get in touch with us on social media we're on twitter at pod of the gaps um, and f- suggest future episodes and of course indeed uh, subscribe support and share the episode as much 
as you are able to. We, we really appreciate your support and we are glad to be able to get this message out of, of being a podcast that tries to plug these gaps between cultural issues and Christianity from an evangelical perspective. So from myself, Aaron Edwards, from Michael Lutz and from Andy Bannister, it's goodbye for now. See you next time. <laughs>